talking about controls, I was on vacation and I, I live in the beach in Santos, in the, oh. in the, the city of the biggest port in, in South America. And then I was on vacation and I took my family to a different beach. Uh, my <laughs> wife and two, and two kids, you know, because we uh, we love beaches. You know? And I, I'm 38 and I still always lived in, in, the, in the beach. I uh, swim well. Uh, I'm used to the, the sea. And I, we were in this beach uh, and the, the sea was flat, you know. So, and I took the decision of doing some swimming. Like 100, there, there was a, a, I don't know in English, but the thing that you can hold and stay uh, floating. So uh -huh. uh, I took, yeah, I took the decision swimming until there, like 100 meters. Uh, and then I went and there was two people uh, our side and they were drinking uh, with a, a, a piece of, a kind of a, a board, a surfboard right. with some, uh, beers inside uh, above and and I was criticizing they say hey these guys in the, are in the sea with drinking and, uh, and everything uh, and I decided to swim and I went and then I, I it started the, the, the weather started being some not as sunny as it was and I decided to come back and then during the comeback uh, my rotator cliffs like uh, had a problem and it escaped from the the shoulder. Oh my god! Just <laughs> in the middle of the sea, just one arm, and my wife getting crazy with the kids crying. And then who saved me? <laughs> the beer drinking guys on the surfboard. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am the host of this donut cart uh, that we call a podcast a couple times a week. I'm so glad you're here. It is so much fun uh, talking to you. It really is. I tell you this all the time, but uh, if you didn't listen, I wouldn't do this. Today's fun, though, because we're going to talk to uh, Hugo Ribeiro from Brazil. And actually, this is part one of a two-parter because I couldn't figure out what to cut, so I just didn't cut anything. But you know the deal. If I'm on a podcast, I usually ask if I can also put it on my podcast because it's like a two-for-one, two birds with one stone. You know, efficiency over thoroughness, as it were. And I think you know exactly what I mean when I say that. But the thing with Ugo is, is it's so much fun to talk to him. There's so, there's so much energy around this new understanding of safety in Brazil, it's crazy. I mean, it's its really interesting and fun to watch. But the thing that happened out of this podcast, which is amazing to me, is that Ugo said, can I translate five principles? Because we really have a need for some uh, resources that are available to us in Portuguese. And I said, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want to, of course you can. And he did it. Like, he did it. And it's it's amazing. Um, I mean, I think it's amazing. I don't really read Portuguese, but it looks really good. And uh, and I think it's been helpful, and it's picked up kind of a little market. So, Ugo, no matter what, brother, and we've known each other a long time, I, uh, I owe you a big solid because what a nice thing to do. I mean, I don't think we're going to get rich and live in the Bahamas. I'm pretty certain that's not going to happen. Although, if it does, that'd be fine. Or then 
I would live anywhere. I don't, I'm not. I'm not centric just to the Bahamas. Live on a yacht that moves around to many different places. But it's kind of cool, and I'm glad you did it. And that's that's a it's a great thing. I think it's if it helps, I'm glad that it helps. I really am, and I'm glad you took the effort. What a lot of work! But I think it's cool because it's kind of Ugo's really in a position where he's he's in many ways an early adopter. That's for sure. I mean, since we started. Years ago, when I first went to his site, I knew he was an early adopter. But he's also put so much energy, and he's so interested in the the national culture changing the way it thinks. And there's a lot of stress right now in Brazil, so our our thoughts need to be with him anyway. But it's exciting to me to know there's this peer group, and it's big. I mean, he's got a lot of people around him that are doing it, so this is cool. Man, Hugo, you're the man. You are the man, and I'm pretty sure you'll listen to this, so I feel like I'm getting the message sent to you in an effective way. Other than that, um, like I said, it's a two-parter, and I love the opening story, <clears throat> which I'm sure made it long as well, but it's completely worth it. Anybody that uh, – I could just uh, – that story's great. You judge the guys that are bobbing in the ocean drinking beer until you need them, and then they adaptively saved your life. It's uh, – it's in many ways, it's the definition of irony, but it's also a really good definition of how success happens. So I hope you're uh, doing well. I hope everything's good. You're healthy and happy. I hope that work is doing what it needs to be doing for you and that your leadership team is supporting you all the way. Those are the things I hope for you. And I thank you because it's always fun to have you on the podcast, but I think I'll shut up now and just engage the podcast into what it's going to do. This is part one of uh, Ugo and I's conversation around safety and understanding the new world and what it means and swimming in the ocean and beach vacations. That's what we're going to talk about. So here we go. Listen carefully. Enjoy. I will start uh, telling a story between us. I don't know if if you remember this, but I will start by the story. When you were here in Brazil back in 2012. Wow, really? Yes, I have a story with you. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I will start by this breaking the ice. Okay, that's good. That's good. We're good anyway. It'll be good, I promise. Yeah. We are funny people, so it's probably... I'll try to avoid understand that comedy, but... <laughs> no, stay on it. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. <laughs> stay on it. There's no, no reason to not be funny. Thank you so much. I will start breaking the ice with a story that we had back here, back in 2012 in Brazil, when I first heard about uh, HOP and uh, all this new view. You were hired to training me and my friends down here in Brazil, and we stayed in the same hotel in São José dos Campos at this time. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I do. We, you asked for a churrascaria, a steakhouse. Of oh, course. One of those steaks that people come back yeah. and forth with meat. And I said, I can beat you in a food challenge. I can eat more than you. And you looked at me and said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, let's go there. And we entered the steakhouse. And then you went to the menu. And you took a lot of salads, palm tree, rice, potato, and everything. And I was just quiet waiting for the meat. And then you were full already, and when the, the meat started coming, it was, <laughs> you start saying, "No, no, no!" And I, uh, unfortunately, I was uh, fam- uh, familiarized with the, the <laughs> system of the, <laughs> the place, and I beat you in a 
food eating challenge. What is that? Is a high almost. honor. That is a high honor, and it's and it's because you're an amazing uh, eater of meat, and because I made a, the new mistake, the mistake that the new people make. That's why they put all that fancy salad and. They want you to eat the cheap stuff so you don't eat the expensive. You're smarter. You you knew where the high value targets were, and you saved up for the high value targets. See, now I'm smarter. Now you wouldn't win. I I challenge you to a rematch. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Okay. In Brazil, in Brazil, we say that rice we meet at home. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's that's a good rule. You didn't tell me that before though. <laughs> so Todd, since 2012, when you, you introduced me to to Hop, uh, I've been working this in, in the company I work for, and you come back time to time to training our, me and our leaders. And uh, with I've seen not only in, in the company I work, but the community we, we are creating over here is that it's becoming huge. Like everybody's discussing this all the time. And I don't see the safety road coming back to what it was after the job you guys uh, started. So give me your thoughts on, uh, are you familiar with the size of the, that the new view took after the job you guys precursors started? So I know it's getting bigger, but I always think of it kind of like this. It's getting bigger because it's probably the right direction to move our industry. And that's one of the exciting things about really thinking about safety differently in a different way, right? And the power I think we have is that when we align work with the worker and we think about the overall system in which the work happens and we create, I mean, we work really hard diligently to create a system that can be successful for both the company and the worker, we just get better. We not only get safer, but we get more efficient, more productive, happier workers are engaged. And that's kind of fun. And to me, the most exciting part of it is that once you introduce these ideas to people and they resonate with them, they understand and agree and think about them and read and look into it and study deeper, that you can never undo that learning. That's one of the powerful things about learning is that you can never unlearn something. Once you learn a new idea, it's in your head and you can't take it back out because it's now changed the way you think about managing high-risk work, for example, or eating meat when they bring it around on a sword and offer it to you. That also is where I learned today, but that's an important part. And the excitement to me is it's absolutely exciting that it's growing and more and more people are learning and understanding and being introduced to these ideas. But that's not nearly as exciting to me as the expertise that's being developed around the globe. That part, I think, is great. Because suddenly now there's all sorts of people like you and many, many, many others of your colleagues who are just as good, if not better, at thinking about these things than we are. And that's really when it gets fun. Yes. Perfect. I totally agree. Uh, you started most of the... the convincing part of the work by the leaders, the, the senior leaders and the management and everything. Most of our trainings is started by this public. Uh, but as you said, sometimes that probably you have seen this already. Some of them need a rehab, you know, they, they kind of start coming back to the, to the old stuff. Uh, uh, what's the, the ideas 
that make them come back to those? What do you think makes some companies coming back to old, old, old ideas? What a good question. That's a really good question. And it's a good question because, first of all, it's true. And secondly, it's predictable. And so let's talk about it because really these ideas around human performance, they aren't changes so much for the worker doing the work. In fact, what we're doing is making it easier and better for the worker to do work more reliable. They don't really have to change very much. Who has to change are the leaders. And so the thing I know about the work we do is that if we can get leaders to define safety differently, if they can define safety not as the absence of an injury, but as the presence of a control, then that actually sets leaders up so they can manage something new. But you're exactly right. Leaders will move forward and move backwards. And every organization, every organization has that. You make great strides and you move forward and you learn and grow. And then something happens and everybody runs back to the old way. That's normal and you can expect it. What I would encourage you to think about is that every time they go backwards, back to the old view, they don't go as far back as they did the time before. And what you start to see is incremental improvement in how leaders understand and think about failure. And you know you're successful when the leaders look at you after an event has happened and they say something like, we could either blame and punish or we can learn and improve. Let's really focus on learning and improving. The great news is to stay strong and to stay positive and to realize that when a leader moves backwards, that's not a time to get defensive or angry. That's a time to get instructive. That's a time to teach and help them understand why a more modern view is probably a better response for what's happening. Yes, what I, what I saw and I realized in some opportunities that I had is that even when the leaders pressure to come back, the employees, the, the workers, they say, okay, they will some, sometime they will come back to the new view, but we, we are staying here. Yeah. And as Albert Einstein said, you know, a, a mind that expands his size never comes back yeah. to the old size uh, totally, as you, as you said. You know, so You're exactly right. I am so impressed that behind your head, is the largest Nietzsche book I've ever seen in my life. That's my philosopher, my favorite one. I'm very few people I get to talk to have that big of a Nietzsche collection. This is, this is quite nice. Are you in the midst yeah, of some I, kind of existential I, strife? I, <laughs> Usually I don't believe in magic. So that's why I like him. You know, <laughs> that's good. <real> life. <laughs> that's good. That's good. My friend. That's good. The, the total real life. So uh, we are starting, as I mentioned, a community over here, and we were able to combine uh, agencies like workers, uh, directors, science uh, writers and, and scientists and everything. Guys like us, uh, not comparing myself to you, but people that think kind of differently. Uh, and most of them are still too quiet. You know, they just wait for us talking, posting stuff. Uh, and probably you saw this in the beginning, you know, like somebody, some people kind of protecting their image, not diving deeper in the, in the idea. Uh, what would be a, a kind of something that we could do to 
bring those people to the to the debate and to the to help us to develop the the idea wider. So I guess there's three things that I would point us to, and that we should always remind each other of as we go on this journey with the rest of the people that are going with us. One is that our job is to build a bridge from old knowledge to new knowledge. And so we want to actually not say the old way is bad and the new way is good. We want to help them understand that from the old way, we move towards the new way. So that's the first thing I would think of. The second thing is that I think it's so important that we remember that everyone is on a different place in their thinking about safety in a new way. And that things that you and I have been thinking about for a long time may be a brand new idea for somebody who's just been introduced to these ideas. And so the importance of staying with the first principles, with the fundamentals, really does have value because we need to invite people into this discussion and we need to start at the beginning. Even though for us, we started at the beginning a long time ago, and so the beginning may seem unimportant to us, but it's very important to the people who are coming with us. And then I think the third thing we do, which is why I'm so proud of you, is that we constantly build community, that we're a welcoming environment where we invite people to be a part of this discussion, and we allow diversity of thought and diversity of opinion to be a part of what we do. And so instead of becoming very didactic, this is the way we think, we're more open to discussion because we know people learn and change by actually having these dialogues and discussions with us. There's a famous philosopher of science. You probably know him. His name is Thomas Kuhn. Are you familiar with him? K-U-H-N. Thomas Kuhn talks about something called the Invisible College. And what it is, is a group of people who think alike throughout a country or throughout a region, throughout a continent, or even throughout the globe. And uh, a, a more contemporary word that I hear used now is the idea of a hive mentality where many people think together. That's what we want to create is really this invisible college. And really, to be fair, that's kind of what we are creating. I mean, we're talking now, uh, 10 years ago, or maybe longer than that, we probably wouldn't be sharing information about creating safe organizations. But now it's really common for us to speak really to peers and colleagues, not only in our own areas, but throughout the globe. And lots of people are thinking the way we're thinking. I think it's important for us to keep that welcome and keep it open and to keep the dialogue and value the diversity. Those are things we have to do. All right. For for those that are starting this in this journey, uh, somebody that a safety professional that know uh, the the principles and are here as now and likes the idea and want to implement the hop stuff, uh, what would be their tougher tool to convince their leaders to go in this journey? What, what would you suggest instead of listening to us that could be helpful to because you are the the uh, the best, like, <laughs> persuasive people, you know. So I, I always tell people that uh, we have a lot of scientists and, and not not putting anybody down, but uh, if there is, everybody's talking, I want to I wanna listen to Todd because he's, 
he's nice to be heard. He, he had, he's funny and, and, and I like this. And sometimes we need this kind of uh, skills to convince people. So for those who are starting the, in this journey, they need to convince their directors, their leaders. What would be your, your advice? So, so it's a really good question. Again, you ask very good questions. I'm quite impressed by you. Um, <laughs> I read your book. Oh, that's why. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think the first thing is to realize that ne leaders need some time and opportunity to actually understand these ideas. And so I think training and workshops around the fundamentals just for the leaders helps to introduce them the ideas at the beginning. Oftentimes, leaders are so busy And our time with them is so truncated, it's so shortened, that we sort of give them the one-slide overview. Here's five bullets of what we're going to do. Well, these concepts um, will, in fact, translate into five bullets, but it's not enough. Leaders need some time to look you in the eye and say, well, what about accountability? What about discipline? Are you telling me what I used to do is wrong and this is right? And those are all really rich and important questions giving leaders the opportunity to really think about this change is incredibly important. And I would suggest it's kind of the first thing you want to look at. The second thing, which is really vital is that you have to really help leadership move their definition from safety as an outcome to be achieved and measured and sort of bonus and board meeting to safety being a process, a capacity that exists in the way we do operations. And so helping them redefine safety, and the one I use all the time, safety is not the absence of an accident, it's the presence of capacity. I see it all the time in Portuguese on that LinkedIn thing. So you guys, I know you guys toss that one around a lot, but that's really important for leaders to understand that because you're really asking them to redefine what safety is. And the value in that is that if you help them redefine safety, then they have a new definition for safety and they'll ask a whole series of new questions and those new questions will elicit new outcomes from the organization. And then the third thing, which I think is just as important, all three of these kind of move equally, is that we have to help organizations ch change the way they do really their operational learning. A and you can translate that into investigations. The biggest benefit will get the quickest is doing better investigations so that we give better um, stories. We, we give better reports to the leaders. Leaders respond to the investigations we give them. And if we tell them the worker was bad, then the leader is going to respond by fixing the worker. But if we tell a context rich story of how the failure was successful, of what conditions had to exist for this bad thing to happen, then all of a sudden we've given leaders a whole new set of things they can actually look at, analyze, and eventually fix. So that's a really important, in fact, I would suggest that might be the most important question that we could ask. What are the three big changes we can give those leaders? And it's give them the foundation, redefine the outcome, and change the way they learn about failure. Yes. One of the, the questions that people always ask me about the, the principles is when I say that error is normal. Right. So most of them understand, like, 
you you are giving a free passport for people doing whatever they want. So <laughs> could you clarify this? Because I'm telling people doesn't trust me. So if well, no, you can, it, it's true. Uh, <laughs> no, it's true. Clarify what why error is normal. Well, so, <laughs> it's gonna help us. So so that is a really good question, and I understand why people say it's a free passport. I understand why they say that's a free passport for a worker to do anything they want to. Well, so no, it's not a free passport. Workers still need to be accountable. Workers still need to be involved in the system. Workers still need to understand the company's values and goals. Those things never go away. The important thing, I think, is to help people realize that error is not a choice. And so asking people not to make mistakes, even though it feels like you're actually doing something, like you have a big meeting, you bring everybody in, and you say, be more careful, that's a nice thing to do, I guess, but it's not terribly effective because when people make mistakes, they don't choose to make a mistake. They just make a mistake. They think they're doing the right thing. And so it might help to define what a mistake is. A mistake is an unintentional deviation from an expected outcome. It's not a choice. Mistakes become choices when we look at them in retrospect. In fact, blame makes mistakes choices. And so part of what you're helping people understand is that the error, which at first, when you start this discussion, people are really excited about talking about human error. They talk about mistakes and they say, we should control mistakes. We should teach people to make fewer errors. We should build systems where people don't make mistakes. The problem with that is that human beings are inherently fallible. People make mistakes. They make them all the time. And the crazy thing about this is that your best workers, the guys that do the most complex, most difficult, and highest risk work, probably make the most mistakes. Because in complex systems, there's more error opportunity. And because there's more error opportunity, there's going to naturally be more error. Where you want to stay, and it's a long, arduous journey, but you want to just keep telling them that mistakes are normal. And that we build systems that understand people make mistakes. And so what I tell people, and this might help you, is if you have a high-risk critical process where you're counting on the worker to do it correctly 100% of the time, that system is out of control. Because no worker, even the best worker you have, can be 100% correct 100% of the time. So the example that you can kind of put in your head is if somebody comes to you and says, a worker made a mistake and it had a bad outcome. The least interesting part of what they just told you is the worker mistake. Mistakes are normal. Mistakes happen all the time, many times an hour. The most interesting part of that statement is how can one little worker mistake create this incredibly significant outcome. And then you start looking at the system and say, wow, our system is so brittle that one wrong decision, one bad move, one turn left instead of turn right can cause a major catastrophic failure. That's not the fault of the person who made the mistake. They just triggered the event. That's the fault of a system that was counting on the people to be perfect. Yes, and something that is always present in these events uh, involving error is that the, the whole concept is, is built 
uh, above it. So, for example, if people think that controlling the error, avoiding the error is, is the right thing to do, they start measuring how many errors people right. uh, <laughs> did during the month. So they say, oh, throughout this month, we had eliminated some error. You're not eliminating the errors. You're just counting them. You know? Right. You're exactly, you're exactly right. And what's what's amazing, and, and you'll see this, you've probably already seen it, is that at first, error seems really important. And people, they want to track it and measure it and count it and control it. But the more you stay on this journey, you become sort of, I don't know, you, you become sort of less interested in error. I, like, I, I'm never very interested in the mistake the worker made because it's just a mistake. I couldn't control it. I couldn't ask them not to do it. They didn't mean to do it. It's a mistake. I'm much more interested in how that mistake equated into such horrible consequence. That yeah, actually that's... is really interesting. Talking about controls, I was on vacation and I, I live in the beach in Santos, in, oh. in the, the city of the biggest port in, in South America. And then I was on vacation and I took my family to a different beach. Uh, my <laughs> wife and two, and two kids, you know, because we uh, we love beaches. You know? And I, I'm 38 and I still always lived in, in, the, in the beach. I uh, swim well. Uh, I'm used to the, the sea. And I, we were in this beach. Uh, and the, the sea was flat, you know, so, and I took the decision of doing some swimming, like 100, there, there was a, a, I don't know in English, but the thing that you can hold and stay uh, floating, so uh -huh. uh, I took, yeah, I took the decision swimming until there, like 100 meters, uh, and then I went, and there was two people uh, our side, and they were drinking, uh, with a, a, a piece of, a kind of a, a board, a surfboard, right. with some uh, beers inside, uh, above. And and I was criticizing. They say, hey, these guys in the, are in the sea with drinking and, uh, and everything. Uh, and I decided to swim. And I went, and then I, I it started, the, the, the weather started being some, not as sunny as it was, and I decided to come back. And then during the comeback, uh, my rotator cliffs like uh, had a problem and it escaped from the <laughs> the shoulder. Oh my gosh! <laughs> in the middle of the sea, just one arm, and my wife getting crazy with the kids crying. And then who saved me? <laughs> the beer drinking guys on the surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, "Man, I was watching you. You are kind of an athlete. You you are fitness. You don't drink. You never." drink anything today and, and I said and I started thinking you know so people make mistakes all the time and we need to think about controls you know you cannot rely on <laughs> people's ability all right. the time so right it's a great lesson it's a great lesson because because you judge them as bad people because they were drinking beer on a surfboard which many people on your podcast are going to think is a really great idea just in case you're wondering <laughs> But when you need them, they were the resource that, that actually helped you survive. That's a great yeah, story. That's, that's an amazing draws. yeah, that's an amazing story. It's capacity, right? It's you you, you weren't out yeah. there alone. There were people there that actually came to your rescue. That's cool. That's so cool. And that's just part one of the conversation. Wait till you hear part two. Oh yeah. You're gonna love it. Every second of it is gonna be amazing. 
Until then, my friends, I'll see you with the rest of this conversation as we meet again next week. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Learn something new every single day. Check in on one another, please. That's important. Be kind, and for goodness sakes, be safe. There's a little Easter egg at the end of this. And, of course, the, the biggest podcast on Earth is yours, and, and I will invite myself to be part of it. So, if <laughs> please, think about it someday.